the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to podcast, Care of Cooper Cherry. I'm very excited today to have uh, Taylor Atkins. Joining me, uh, Taylor is co-host of the uh, Theory Talk podcast, and uh, <laughs> he's here to join me to discuss, I don't know, we're trying to discuss the influence of, or I guess the confluence of maybe Lacan, uh, Deleuze and Watari, capitalism, um, and sort of maybe even some Freud. But uh, Taylor, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Hey, Cooper, I appreciate you having me. It's, it's been really nice getting to know you, and um, I'm, I'm excited today. Uh, what, it's Tuesday, the 26th of November, I believe. Uh, it's kind of a nice day out, and uh, this is a good day, to, good day to chat. Hell yeah. So I, I think before we get into kind of the meat of the conversation, I definitely want you to tell us a little bit about maybe your background and uh, the podcast. But I, one thing that I thought kind of caught my eye just in uh, like whenever, because we're mutuals on Twitter and I noticed that you had translated a lot of uh, French philosophy, including Watari, which I, I think is pretty dope and uh, something to call out for the listeners. Yeah. So we are mutuals on Twitter uh, probably for feels like uh, the better part of this year. And, um, you know, I, I probably don't, uh, tweet as much as, as, as I, as I view. So I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen and interacted with, uh, a lot of your tweets. I'm usually very like reserved, uh, and, uh, um, but you know, that's just, I think it's, it's part of it. It's, it's, um, that, that's just the, the beauty of that platform, but I'll, I'll say a little bit about myself and, um, you know, I, um, I kind of studied and specialized in what I will, you know, I mentioned this to you before, but what I'll kind of crudely call um, the French convergence of Nietzsche, Marx, and Freud, and, you know, uh, behind that, beneath that, uh, Spinoza, too, in, um, in this post-phenomenological, post-World War II, you know, uh, field of thinkers in... Uh, um, most mostly in the 60s 70s and 80s it's not really just like centered on that but but definitely that's that's where my background's from and um you know i i uh deleuze is really one of the people that inspired me to to take up uh learning french and and translating because he uh i feel is very um throughout his work he's very generous in the footnotes he gives and what by what i mean by that is like all the different sources he draws upon he he sort of brought to light a lot of these minor voices like 
you know, Raymond Rie or Gilbert Simondon, and and even uh, to a to a to a certain extent, uh, his co-author Felix Guattari, and uh, that sent me down a rabbit hole of like, who are these thinkers, and 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 what's going on, and why aren't they translated, and and what are they saying, and um, and and you know, so uh, it began with this desire to to say, well, you know, if you know, it, it began at first of as kind of a selfish desire of like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to translate, you know, an introduction here, a preface there, because, you know, I want to know what's being said. And then it kind of spiraled from there and became, went from a hobby to a passion. And so I, I've, I've, I kind of have Deleuze to thank for, uh, you know, bringing me to uh, translate, you know, people like, like Simon Don or people like Francois Laruel. And, and of course, you know, um, Felix Guattari, when I translated his Machine of Unconscious, you know, he still had a, a good number of works that, extremely important works that hadn't been translated. At this point, though, um, a lot of those gaps have been filled in. There's still some some lacunae here and there in his in his work, but he's um, he's definitely, you know, like uh, for example, the schizoanalytic cartographies very soon after I finished the machine unconscious came out. And those were two of the, the big works that were missing from his, uh, from his corpus. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that's kind of, I'm a, I'm a kind of a Deleuze nerd that, that took it a little too seriously and, <laughs> you know, and, and decided to, to turn that into, um, you know, I won't call that my primary job, but I would say it's, it's, I, I take it seriously as one of my most, one of the most important things as a as a fucking human being that I'm doing right now is is translating and again that makes me sound like a big nerd but I'm, I I want to be a part of the the chorus of scholarly voices the chorus of both academic internally and externally the para academic um you know chorus of 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 uh theoretical voices and and uh and you know Twitter just a just to come full circle uh, helps me to to do some of that. Um, I try to stay off Facebook for my own reasons that I won't get into. But you know, Twitter brought us together today. So like, there's something, you know, something about the convergence of perspectives and ideas. It doesn't have to all be uh, shit posting or like uh, <laughs> or like internal feuds. It I think it I think it can have you know obviously social media platforms can 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 bring people together. And so I'm. You know, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of nice that that's that's why we're we're here today talking. Yeah, it, I mean, honestly, uh, on that note, it's been a huge boon for me personally, just in terms of like connecting with you. I mean, there's so, so many like 20, 30 people, maybe more that I interact with now that like I never would have had the opportunity to right. in the past. And I think uh, Twitter really for me is something that, man, I would love to like do my do a dissertation on and just examine it sort of through these like lens of Dillas and, and Lacan and Baudrillard, I think in particular, yeah. I think those are the kind of the thinkers that I would love to kind of explore because I think there's a real, like, you're right. There is a, there's a space there for something. And I think even through shit posting, like there is, I don't know, there's something Deleuzean about shit posting oh, yeah. too, or even, <laughs> you know what I mean? There I, is. I think that absolutely like I take I take shit posting really seriously. 
You're very uh, good at it. <laughs> like, I mean, you've I, elevated it to an art form, I think. <laughs> I mean, uh, it sounds kind of pretentious, but like I do, I literally do view it as an art, but I, it's like, I, I take it, it's I take it seriously yes. in a sense. Right. But not like in, in, in a serious sense either. Like there's a dichotomy there. Like I think it I is yeah. like, there's a legitimate artfulness to it. Mm-hmm. And even shit posting, whether that be like whatever trash post, like there's something there that's valuable or liberatory yes. even. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe that's the most thing. I think there's a certain, like there's a libidinal economy to, to posting. I, I think so. <laughs> and, and you know, you, 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 uh, you, you forgot to mention one of your, one of the guys you said influenced you, which was Foucault. I think there's something Foucaultian about your, your posting shit or otherwise where it's, uh, you, you mentioned it's, it's liberatory. There's something disindividuating about it. Right. And, um, you know, for, for listeners of this podcast, who may or may not be familiar with, with your, with your Twitter account. Oh no, I, know, I try to keep it separate because, okay. um, as, as you can tell, okay, like well, maybe people could dig through the, I, I just, I don't want to like, I guess, scare off, uh, academics no. and like other like serious people. So I try not to, and, you know, I'll kind of tangentially mention it, but I don't really give it away as far as what gotcha. my actual account is. But, um, I well, mean, that's I, really neither here yeah. nor there. I was going to say that you're, you're less of a ship poster. You're more of a, you're more of a cum poster. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and it's, and it's a good distinction because, but, but they, uh, you know, in anti-Oedipus, you know, just to start out the gate, you know, they, they turn to our toe, they turn to uh, desiring production. They turn to just the the machinic aspect of desire, and for them, you know, the the machinic aspect of the organs, the flows of shit and sperm, and and all of that. That's that's nothing to be. Uh, that's nothing to to merely be seen in an abject way, a la Kristeva. That's something that's that's uh, you know, it's part of the vital movement um it's it's you know it's out there so in any case you know i i do think that your use of the word artfulness i like that because right to to be artful is obviously to have you know to have an artistic aspect but it's also to to include some subterfuge right to to tell the truth but tell it slant in a in a kind of sly way right so you know it, it can you can have both aspects at the same time yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a part of what I try to aim for. And kind of on that note, do you think uh, we didn't even talk about this earlier, but via social media, do you think that like does that align with kind of deterritorialization a bit, mm-hmm. or like even um, maybe aspects of like body without organs? Like, right. is, it, is it tapping into that realm at all, or am I just kind kind of miss? Uh, well, misunderstanding. well, you know, if if we, I would begin first with deterritorialization and suggest that, on the one hand, you know, because because for uh, this is made much more clear in a thousand plateaus, but for Deleuze and Guattari, right? There's there's always a deterritorializing and a reterritorializing element, right? There's always there's always a, uh, a, a an inner play of the the two. You don't just have the one or the other, and so like. There are definitely aspects of not just like individual tweets, but aggregates because it is an aggregating machine and one can can kind of cultivate one's own Twitter feed, as we know. And uh, it's similar to Facebook in that way, but obviously a different type of platform, which the difference is we don't have to get into. But this question of deterritorialization, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that and this can get us back to shitposting, but part of that uh, liberatory aspect, part of that disindividuating aspect of, of, of shitposting is a, a, is a kind of means of deterritorializing the territoriality that we might call thought or communication or, or whatever, because these are big, you know, uh, these are big um, uh, territorialities that, that, that constitute um, ways of sort of enrooting ourselves or, as you were saying earlier, maybe taking ourselves too seriously and establishing a, uh, uh, either an identity or, um, or a macro politics or, or, or some other type of, of stable, um, you know, form or content, whatever. So, um, now the question of body of other organs, I think is a, is a lot more, uh, nuanced and complex. And, and, and I'll just say that insofar as one uses Twitter, not as a means of necessarily revealing who one is, but, but, but propelling ourselves kind of, uh, toward maybe unexplored or, uh, easily repressed or, you know, dis, um, or maybe even like imperceptible, like zones of proximity with, with other thinkers and other ways of, of speaking and being and feeling. It's possible that, that Twitter can be, uh, at least a springboard or, or a kind of, uh, accelerator for, um, for colliding, you know, intensities. And if it can, if, if one can, can use it in that productive way, obviously maybe not every time and not every moment, but, but in, but in these rarer times, these rarer instances, which isn't necessarily just about like, uh, just, you know, self-destructing or destroying, but, but as you mentioned, uh, connecting up, um, conjugating with, with other flows, with other thinkers, with other personalities, you know, it's, 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 it's possible analogically um, because the whole thing about the body without organs is is at the level of intensities what 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 is allowed to flow on the plane and um, and in that sense it gets back to flows that's that's one of the inherent positivities of of ship posting right it's it's this question of of does does your ship flow and uh, <laughs> you know it's not every not every tweet not every post will will flow or will achieve a certain velocity of interaction as we know that's part of the likes and retweets uh system the way in which the algorithms um the market uh, aspect of it yeah the market aspect yeah and the way in which uh tweets are are viewed or seen the rate at which they are the the exposure they get um a lot of that has to do with not only one's followers and 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 out but it it is algorithmically based and so there is a there is a question of a rate of flow right uh but 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 uh, but it, you know um it's it's obviously i think um it's not a bad thing to 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 yoke the concept of body with organs to twitter per se it's just i think it's a it's a much um this it it taps into one of the the, the sort of the micropolitical aspects of um, moving beyond the classical forms of debate and discussion, which I think are are old forms of of thinking and old images of thought to 
uh, to these to these these different, more infl- technologically inflected means of uh, of informing in a double sense ourselves and others and and the the productive consequences that can follow from it you know the effects that can follow uh random question along these lines though do you do you know that uh nick land is on twitter and do you follow him i know nick lands on twitter um what outsideness and um yeah yeah i do not follow him and the reason being i have have so many mutuals who like or retweet and follow him that whether they that like retweet purpose, yeah. he's he's in my feed and um <laughs> the only reason why I don't follow him is 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 not just for him the thinker you know I'm I'm, I'm influenced by his early work on Bataille and uh in the early 90s his stuff on the the and Guattari he was he's he's a very uh astute reader of of them um but the personality that he cultivates i choose less and less to interact with and that's just that's just based on my own kind of penchant that's just based on again my everyone you know you can <laughs> you can you can cultivate or or uh, you know in, in, a, in a micromanaging way or you can kind of just follow ad infinitum and just let the the flows uh you know uh sort of pillage and rape your 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 twitter feed i i try <laughs> to i try to have a, a happy medium of just kind of following like happy go lucky and then like calling back when i um when i want to but at this point i don't think i could call outsideness out of uh, nick land's you know twitter personality which probably reflects a lot of his own thinking you know with a slant again but uh i i couldn't i couldn't uproot him if i wanted to unless i wanted to mute him and i don't i haven't gotten to that point um yeah so yeah you know that option is always left up to me um i usually when i see his tweets i'll i'll scan over them like one reads a uh, a friend's poem that you're trying to like placate you know there's a there's a there's a small curious self within my you know uh russian nesting dolls of of selves that is like oh what's what's nick land saying here and i'm like yeah you know it's like it, it is what it is i uh i have i try to stay very neutral towards um towards him because i know a part of his like trajectory from the the early 90s to throughout you know and part of that um either uh, that kind of outright flirting with 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 a type of alt-right accelerationism just doesn't really appeal to me and i know he can't be reduced to that but but he definitely has aspects of that you know what i mean oh yeah absolutely i mean i don't i certainly i think it's kind of more of a it's almost more of like a curiosity and maybe in the sense like kind of tickling that same urge like why are you know, people so obsessed with uh, with serial killers. So mm-hmm. that's kind yeah. of like the the analog for me. But I do think it is. It I find it so amusing that he kind of like will interact with because I have some mutuals that are like, you know, they might have like five hundred follower accounts, and here's fucking Nick Land is like, they're talking shit back and forth on Twitter. Which that right. aspect of it I think is just profoundly amusing and yes. kind of absurd. Yes. And like the absurdity is the amusing part because obviously this guy is at least at one time had, you know, was probably one of the 
you know, most influential Deleuzian or is kind of an application of Deleuze, at least mm-hmm. I've heard, is very pretty astute at times. Been, so I think he's that's been one of the most yeah, he's been one of the most uh, viral thinkers um, of a certain type of Deleuzeanism. But, you know, I mean, that was again, that was early 90s. And I don't think he would uh, I think he dissociated himself from. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's. I wouldn't necessarily call him a Deleuzean, but he's. He's definitely. Uh, he definitely takes uh, a lot from Deleuze and Guattari. Probably, like all the best thinkers, take from um, you know other thinkers. They 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 don't necessarily identify with those thinkers. They 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 set them on a line of flight, and they conjugate those lines with their own. And so, yeah, he's definitely traveling down his own line of flight. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we converge somewhere. In many different ways, probably some that I myself refuse to acknowledge. Um, uh, others I try to be honest about myself with, and uh, you know, um, I think that that uh, I think that you know he's he's uh, he's not someone merely to ignore, and that's why I never chose to to mute him. He's never he's never like bothered me a lot of the times when I read his stuff, and it maybe doesn't jive with what I what I think. I sometimes. I'm like, well, is this a persona? Does it matter? Right. And so, and so, that's where there is a curiousness, but also uh, a, a, on, the, on the same balancing scale, uh, a grain of salt that I that I give or do not give, right? A, a fuck that I that I choose to give or not. And so, like, I yeah. don't um, because I do think that if I followed him very closely, I think that you know, to use to use a term loosely, I think he would probably you know, trigger me if I, if I were too serious about reading right. them. And yeah. so I, I try to remain, uh, in my kind of comfy devil's advocate zone with him, um, while still acknowledging that he's a, he's obviously a tour de force intellectually. And, you know, it's, it's that whole, do you take him literally or seriously? Right. That whole shit that, <laughs> right. uh, that, that we know, uh, I, I think that's what, what Peter Thiel said about, Someone said that about Trump, I think. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was Teal, but he probably wasn't the first, right? It's, but he said something. He said something like that at a, a little, you know, uh, Q and A about how we we can't take him, um, we we can't take him uh, literally, but we have to take him seriously or some shit, right? It's or it's, it's more it's, like it was it was the division between uh, rep, like conservatives take him, uh, or no. <sighs> It's like liberals take him literally, and then yes. uh, conservatives take him seriously. I think is right. Yeah, is the way it's articulated, and that, that makes sense. Uh, it does make sense, and there's something to that. I think with, with with Nick Land and certain of his followers, and and different different variants of of the different accelerationisms. Um, you know, I don't think he. Um, I think he has a lot to offer, and. Um, whether or not we choose to negotiate what he offers uh, in in a way that's productive or not is is really up to up to us. Um, and I say us, not in a not in a singular way, right? It's just it's just um, it's really it's really just a, a matter of and I and, and there's there's aspects of like for example um, there's aspects of Nietzsche that I see you know where not everything Nietzsche says is going to be uh, taken needs to be taken literally. There's a lot of, of what, of what Nietzsche does productively and performatively where he sort of welcomes in a kind of fascistic discourse to embrace it, 
the better to like smother it. And I just think Nick hasn't gotten to that smothering stage, uh, you know, so it's like, uh, um, but I don't mean to disparage the guy. I mean, fuck, I guess I am. I mean, I, I will. Not. Yeah. You know, I it's, I will for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So the other uh, day he was on about like IQ uh, and ooh. trying to s- this like dysgenics idea and is just yes. like, are you f- like, come on, dude. Like it's I don't know. It's really disappointing. Even like, yeah, if even if you are trying to pursue this kind of crazy uh, fascistic accelerationist line of thought. Right. Like at least have some imagination. And, and I think falling back on like IQ science as yeah. something is just it's fucking boring and it's on, well, I mean, kind of beneath uh, someone that has had like his impact and like obviously has an in- intellect to kind of know that IQ is bullshit. Yeah, I, I I always wonder. It's it's. I mean, this is part of the charity that I give or do not give him. Is 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 there's 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 always that there's my troll radar is always going off when I read him, and I think that's why I I choose for my own like health not oh, yeah, to gotcha. not to engage too closely. And um, I think we have to we have to feel out various lines of thought, various thinkers, various you know images of of thinking that um, that compose well or not with our with our own um, collective assemblages of enunciation. And and there are times when you know um, I have to take a break from reading like Laurel or Guattari or or Deleuze or Nietzsche or whatever that that that. You know, I can um, I can feel myself disindividuating, but not in a productive way. And whether or not I'm supposed to be able to, uh, you know, arbitrate that is is kind of mood. It's just there is a at a deep level there is there is a um, you know we we as thinkers reserve the right to kind of like uh, distance ourselves and in, in, in a productive way so that we can have so that we can convalesce from the 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 meeting the the encounters that we uh choose to to follow or that choose to to or that choose us right and so you know becoming equal to the event of thinking is 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 never is never a never necessarily a friendly or like uh healthy thing and and but we have to in the last instance to keep going we have to like take care of ourselves and part of that is is definitely you know mental and uh and and has aspects related to reading and and writing and there is a whole um i don't want to say a eugenics of reading and writing right it's just a whole hygienics right of, of what is hygienic for for my uh you know for my thought experiments for my lines of flight uh of thinking and uh and a lot of, and just lately at least uh, i haven't found anything um or i've chosen to just stay at a, a remove um, that I feel is just overall beneficial for, for me. <laughs> what do you think in that context? You kind of tapped into this a little bit is like the, and I'm, my thought process was along the lines in terms of Twitter, especially is like, in a sense, I'm being more authentic with my posting than I am in my like IRL life in a sense, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I'm like, there's no mediation of, uh, like social like norms or what what have you like protocols etc like right. that barrier is in a sense removed so in a sense you're interacting with my me as a mind or whatever that what I don't know however you want to classify that 
right in a totally un i mean it's obviously mediated by the screens but in a sense it is more um i don't know i mean it's it's more authentic in a, in a kind yeah. of weird way maybe right then even if you interacted with me like in real in real life um because I, you yeah. have like sort of direct access and especially the way that i post is like completely stream of consciousness so you're able to literally directly interact with my specific uh whatever thought process is is going on in my brain at any given moment right yeah i mean like exactly that's that's the flows aspect that's the stream um the 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 filters that you or that uh any twitter user uses to like cultivate uh these flows of discourse these flows of uh i don't even know if you'd call them discourse but you can or these flows of 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 speech fragments these you know these of of characters um you know the filters that 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 one uses they they are a type of you know artistry a type of cultivation of how we not necessarily present ourselves or represent ourselves right because that that that's been that box has been unchecked but more of how we choose to navigate those express that 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 expressivity um that you know deep down doesn't have necessarily anything to do with with how we would speak to another human being in quote-unquote polite society that there is a sense in which twitter in that sense to get back to it is uh frees oneself up for these um uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, shitposting is, is such a negative way of putting it if one thinks about it too much. But it's it's these experimental forays into the and and, and what passes, what doesn't pass. Um, and it's it's never there's never the last word. There's always a chance to uh, to, you know, to 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 add on. And it doesn't have anything to do with editing. Right. It, it's it's all about, um, you know conjoining disjoining connecting up flows and and so in that sense right it's it's uh it always uh prompts us to to be able to 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 say more and to to inflect to uh to to diffract right these 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 different lines these rays of 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 thought that may or may not constitute like thoughts with a with a capital t but but are all but you know, it's, it's this it's this micro noological level, right? This this micro level of uh, uh, of what potentially could constitute like again polite speech or be reconstituted reconstituted into like discourse with a capital D. Maybe this will be a good way to kind of tie this into I think what we really want to talk about in terms of desire and, and capitalism, and I think uh, I mean this is a very kind of I guess surface level uh, thing, but I really uh, attach a lot of significance to, you know, the Deleuze work, uh, difference and repetition. And mm-hmm. I think that in a sense is kind of like what a lot of shit posting or memes really follow is that kind of logic of like iteration of, of multiplication of the difference Yeah, um, you know, you know, difference or repetition is is is, you know, this is seminal work. At least if we if we look at Deleuze's work, solo work, and it was his uh, 
it was his primary thesis um, for gaining the doctorate. And it, it, it has aspects in which he converses with the history of philosophy, but at the same time as he lays out in his preface, um, so much of what he, <clears throat> so much of what he was trying to do was, was to perform this, um, and it gets thrown around a lot in Deleuzean terminology, but I'll throw it out anyway. This, this kind of, there's a performative buggery going on with the history of philosophy and these different philosophers and the allies with whom he, um, breaks bread, so to speak, they generally, um, perhaps because of a certain, you know, deep down benevolence of thinking he, he, uh, they resist his buggering in different ways, right? He says that he tried to take Spinoza from behind and Spinoza took him from behind or Spinoza resisted. Nietzsche was the one that took him from behind, you know? So, but, uh, he, he gives a kind of indication of, you know, uh, performative buggery when he, uh, gives a kind of provocative example of, of a, of a bearded Hegel and a beardless Marx, right? This, this <laughs> maximal difference that still in the last instance remains faithful to the, if not the overall project, then to the, the imminent impulse of these thinkers such that they, they lose their, their, their proper names and, and they become, uh, effects, right? So, uh, so in the last instance, buggering isn't just a kind of performative rewriting, but is more concerned with how do we take the proper name, unassign it to its authorship, and produce or 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 map out what could be described as the the effects, right? So, and and any and and they they talk about. Um, this happens a lot more in science where, you know, you, you see um, the proper names of scientists and the discoverers and inventors attached to uh, the different effects, right? We can, we can see this with uh, the burgeoning of science, especially in the 18th, 19th centuries, where you, you look at what Riemann did or Lobachevsky did for, um, for, for non-Euclidean geometry and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, like, in the history of philosophy, I think... Um, what Deleuze was trying to free himself from was what he says is he, and he would include Foucault to this because they were uh, students together under some of the same advisors. They were the last generation to, to like rigorously be schooled in this history of philosophy and this regurgitation of its history. And what Deleuze is looking for is, is, you know, the, the Spinoza effect, the Nietzsche effect, the Marx effect, the Freud effect, and, and, and to kind of, um, assemble these effects into um, either a thought experiment or into what he would what he calls in that work a transcendental empiricism that that that, that intends to um, one could say sound out the the idols of images of thought right in a Nietzschean way right this twilight of the images of thought to be able to diagram them and map them and and to be able to uh, instantiate means of undermining them subterraneanly such that we can, such that in this ungrounding, we can, um, we can start fresh without having to, uh, in a reactionary way, merely rely on these old models or merely copy and trace what has been prescribed for us to think, which for Deleuze is not truly thinking, um, which is merely a kind of apprenticeship and um and true learning goes beyond that true learning 
um, takes place on a different plane than, than one of, of, uh, of organization development and, um, and what he would call evolution, right? Because for Deleuze and Guattari, the true evolution of thinking is an involution without being negative or necessarily a, a, a backward or aggressive, that it's, it's, a, it's a different manner of, um, of becoming. And I think, that's what's, I think that's what Twitter kind of allows for, is, is this, this movement of becoming on the spot in, in the in act that, um, that always kind of strives to, to find out, you know, the limits of, you know, like, like Spinoza asking what, 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 uh, like what is a body capable of? It's kind of what is a tweet capable of? What is a string of tweets? What is the serialism of, of our tweeting and the intersection of our tweets and other thoughts? What is the impact? What is the effects that can be drawn out? Um, and I think it's very productive in that sense, even if it can lead to silliness and, you know, obviously, you know, black holes of, of, of bullshit and, and sometimes uh, mad mobs like crowding on, you know, ratios and all that, right? It can, it can always devolve into that, but it's not defined by that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe that's maybe that's the good point to to kind of leap into like the examination of kind of like the does the something that's been preoccupying my mind is this relationship with capitalism to desire and like especially like an ecstatic element of desire within capitalism. Like there's a certain uh, there's an abundance that is I think implied within capitalism that I think ca- uh, if any sort of revolutionary project or thought has to come to terms with that we like, at least in the popular imagination or like commonly, you know, capitalism has abundance and, um, or capitalism is thought to as providing things to people and communism is viewed as taking away or limiting desire. And I think we need to invert that. And I think that communism needs to embrace a libidinal economy and create like, this is like redefine it as no, this is not, we're not taking away things we are, we are giving to. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, and, 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 and there's, there's popular kind of threads of thinking uh, of this kind on, on Twitter. Um, and, um, you know, I'm only loosely, uh, well-read and into those, those threads, but there's the notion of a kind of a fully automated luxury communism, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, and so there, there are aspects of this notion of, um, of, of, of a, of a libidinally infused communism that, um, goes that, 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 that harbors some of the, the, the aspects of what you were discussing. Um, and, and it's a question obviously of, of the risks and, you know, laying beneath that where it, it takes capitalism's fulfillment of, of, of false needs that are, you know, elevated to the, 
to the rank of desire with capital D or desires with a capital D and communism obviously has to, um, has to guard against kind of falling back on this old model of, of, of merely providing for the satisfaction of, of, of pleasures and these pseudo needs. And, um, and I think that part of how it does that obviously still remains to be thought out and articulated. And, 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 and I'm not saying that it hasn't already begun to be, it's just that, um, the question of, of, uh, you know, it's the implications for actually existing Mar uh, communism or Marxism or, or, you know, socialism, whichever, even just, whichever just broadly, yeah. Or even just yeah. a broadly revolutionary paradigm. Right. And we talked about too, um, kind of in the warm up discussions about, you know, I think the, the, what is it? The extinction rebellion, like the, the dancers yes. in the streets and how, like, I think my point was, yes, there's like, in a, at a certain level, yes, it's kind of like performative and maybe like s stupid or comes across as that. But I don't think I think if you dismiss it offhand as nothing but that, that I think you're missing an important aspect that that I want to kind of uncover, because I think that like there has to be that element. It can't just be like, oh, like everything is black and, and gray and there's like, you know what I mean? Like yes. there's no ex there has to be some exuberance. There has to be some some ec ecstatic element of this or what the fuck are we even doing? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're, you're right. Um, yeah, we, we did talk a little bit about the extinction rebellion. Um, you, you could call it protest dancing. You could, but there's, <laughs> I think that, 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 um, obviously that movement and the, the sort of quanta of desire and belief that that form the micropolitical basis for that movement can't be reduced to that to the to the meme or the gif of the dancers in the street um which obviously belies the seriousness of it if with such a reduction right that yeah. by doing so one is obviously uh preparing defense mechanisms that lie in weight and our you know, in, in the kind of investments we make uh, in, in in the socius. And so there are um, obviously other means in which the that one can plug that collectively uh, those desires can be plugged into um, other means of expression. And they don't have to be. I mean, it's it's I think that that's that, that on, on either side, and I hate to both sides ism this shit, but you know, in a molar level and a macro level, it's easy to stereotype and reduce. Um, and it's not just two sides, right. But, but any sort of vector of, of, of politics, um, and to reduce it to a kind of parodic image of itself, you know, this, we can repeat, we can always repeat, uh, farcically, but, uh, you know, just to stick with the Extinction Rebellion thing, if there, and I believe there is, if there is a sense in which there's a self-consciousness of the objective appearance of silliness or, uh, or self-parody, then the, uh, a step has already kind of been taken to discover what Nietzsche calls light feet, uh, this question of thinking as dancing, um, you know, metaphorically, but also literally, 
you know, it's, it's not a, um, I think that what it, what it provides is, is mass movements without the, um, obvious threatening face of, of, you know, just blatant, um, patent violence because it's precisely, this is, this is where, um, you know, not to, a not to sort of, uh, take us back, but this is part of the strength of either, um, you know, Gandhi's movement of resistance against the British empire or Martin Luther King's, um, resistance against, uh, segregation is, is violence for these mass movements in the end for on a macro level are always, or at least seemingly, um, from what we know there it's counterproductive. And so there's a sense in which, if the silliness, the, the, the overt silliness of the memification of these dancers is, um, is counterproductive in the short term, it's not necessarily so in the long term because it's precisely, for example, I mean, just to bring up another example, um, mass movements of, of anti-fascist protests, you see not just right-wing media, but the complicity of, of just media, mass media in general, um, doing a kind of equivalence, a moral equivalence between Antifa and the, and the, the fascists, uh, against whom they are, they are protesting. And so even the, even the, the, the objective appearance of violence on, on their end, whether or not it, it, it actually, uh, effectuates itself is uh, is counterproductive to the narrative to the to the anti-fascist narrative, which is one. It may be meta narrative or not, but it's one that I um, typically align myself with. So um, I know that was a word salad, but I guess I was just <laughs> I was trying to articulate that that perhaps part of the the success, which is to be seen or not um, provisionally, and the failures are included in the successes uh, of the Extinction Rebellion, lies in, you pointed to it, the, this joyousness, this affirmation, um, this lack of self-awareness, or lack of like overt self-seriousness, hypercritical self-awareness that, that provides a different face than... Um, uh, then one that is, that, that imposes itself by violence, which is really the, the, the property of, of, of the state, um, to a certain extent, right? That the state has the monopoly on violence with a capital V. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would, I don't entirely agree. It's like, I, I do feel like there has to be I mean, just pragmatically, there has to be a violent rupture. Yes. And that, but I just, I, I don't think you can, it can only be that. Like, I don't think that, like, there has to be something else other than that. And I think the reason I see that is my formulation or my interpretation of kind of, and I hate to bring him up, but Trump is that he really does represent, like, there's a jacence mm-hmm. that people get with the, his followers garner through his kind of uh, vulgar like personality or really kind of like standing up to kind of the liberal 
establishment, right? Like right. there's a there's a jacence there yeah. that I think, and to me, it's like the only way that I can really explain the rise of this kind of dumb shit, you know, is this, if there's yeah. like, there's something else going on. Like there's an unconscious element to it. And I, you even mentioned this as well, like in kind of looking back at maybe like the, the rise of fascism in kind of the early 20th century is like, it's not as simple as, Oh, well these people were all just kind of fooled or what have yes. you. Like there's, there's more to it. It's not like just this liberal idea of like, Oh, the ideas, you know, the, the good ideas are going to win out. Right. That's, that's simply, that's kind of like a very, uh, I mean, obviously I don't think that plays, that plays out. And I think it's really an indictment of liberalism period is the way that the way that the world has turned out into this kind of function where, or this space where liberal ideas don't even make sense anymore or just totally incapable of negotiating the world that they've created for themselves. Right. You know, um, yeah, I mean, you, you brought up Trump. Uh, I'll, I'll make a quick uh, sidetrack excursus to um, – I'm not going to talk about Steve Bannon's politics in, in general, but uh, you know, he was asked um, on stage at a Q&A about, you know, about um, the 2016 election, and he had a pretty prescient, I think, point about how if Bernie had won the primary in the Democratic Party and gone on in the general – that you would have seen uh, kind of left, poly, uh, left-ish, whatever, um, populism and, and right-wing populism face off in, in a battle of ideas. And I still think that that might be too generous, right? That I think that you have something there about that, um, at least in the short term and medium term, the, the, the battle of ideas is, is not f- necessarily fought on a, on a neutral terrain. And, um, and this is partly to do with the metaphorical or not the so-called marketplace of ideas and that there's always a market for even the, the vilest and worst ideas. But, uh, I guess to go back, you know, to this question of jouissance and, uh, this question of, yeah, there is this libidinal efflux of, of, um, of enjoyment that suffuses the, um, not just modern American authoritarianism and, and the rise of, of fascism, but you see it in the, in the early 20th century too. There's been, I mean, Deleuze and Guattari talk about it, but there's been books on it. Just this question of the, um, the sort of, you know, the, the, the enjoyment of the roiling masses under fascism, um, Italian, German, and the imperialistic, you know, Japanese, like there's, there is a there is a sense in which there's a um, that one can map out how uh, this identification with the leader and the the effect of quote unquote charisma to sort of uh, propagate these waves of enjoyment uh, that 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 solidify a uh, a national identity, an ethnic identity, whatever it may be to, to constitute the, the territoriality upon which fascism is able to erect its flag. Um, we, we do see that, uh, definitely in this Trump phenomenon. And, um, you know, it's, it's a question of, um, it's not just a, it's not just a question of, you know, um, of, of a, of a kind of horseshoe theory where there's on the left, the same type of, 
territorialization and same type of uh, of of propagation because it's uh, it's much more. Hmm, I guess the way I would say it is on the left, at least, um, ideally or or practically, there are uh, multiplicities. There are different multiplicities of. Um, that, that don't just concern class, although class is definitely a unifier and is, and is a, it is the molar aspect. There are all kinds of different masses that, that differentiate themselves and that, that clamor for their, uh, their rights to be heard, uh, on the left. And whereas on the right, at least seemingly, even, even though there are obviously differences and, and, and feuds and whatnot, there is a, there is a much more molarizing, segmentarizing, like unifying um, uh, aspect, and it's not necessarily class-based. It seems much more based in race, and um, you know what, Deleuze and Guattari wouldn't say this, but but what one could loosely call ideology and a, a sort of uh, white, an ethno ideology, if you will, and um, and that, of course, is why. You pointed it out very well. It's not that uh, Trump is is sort of the, the 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 return of the repressed conservatism. It's 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 a different phenomenon. It is a um, uh, New Gingrich actually said it well in a in a fucking tweet where he said that that Trump was the most anti-liberal uh, candidate in his lifetime. And and historians of fascism will point out that the rise of fascism occurs with a sort of uh, a disenchantment towards uh, left politics, the, the the gridlock that 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 occurs, and the sort of alliances of um, oligarchs, uh, incorporations, and 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 old school liberal liberals with laissez-faire liberals with um, with the right and 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 against against uh, against the the. The status quo of the left, and that's that's generally at least in our um, historical frameworks how how fascism uh, rears its head and and progresses through its different stages. It's pointed out by you know Umberto Eco has a great little essay on uh, the different. I think there's like twelve. There's maybe a dozen different aspects of fascism. Um, uh, I think Robert Paxton is is the historian who. I think that's his name. Who, um, who who points out that you know fascism isn't necessarily have anything to do with conservatism in general. It's it's really an anti-left movement. Uh, at least that's how it starts. Doesn't uh, you know? At least because it's it's really about the genesis of, of fascism. We don't just one day wake up. Uh, you know, it's not just the next day after the burning of the Reichstag that we have fully formed like. You know, late World War II fascism, and it's and it 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 grows. It 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 uh, there is an embryogenesis of it, and we're seeing some of that real time. I think, and I'm not trying to be like alarmist or something. It's just, you know, there there one can look at at the different aspects and kind of check off the boxes of um of the of the different criteria one needs to kind of constitute these resonating micro black holes of, of fascism within this this big resonator usually i mean usually it's it's the charismatic center of of uh of a of a cult of personality um you know and, and trump himself is a kind of 
ideological black hole that that is opportunistically, you know, figuring out ways of 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 resonating and propagating. Uh, you you pointed to it too, right? His his antics and Twitter again. We come back to Twitter, right? He's the he's like uh, I don't know if he's a Twitter Jedi or whatnot, but that's that's one of the things that he uses. Um, and he, we and we know his his tweets get boosted um, not just by his followers, but all kinds of non-human uh, means, right? The rise of bots and all of that shit, botnets. But he does, yeah, I think he's got a preternatural understanding of desire, and he's like the classic American figure of, like, the huckster. Yeah. And I think that's one thing, too. It's like the the kind of the ideal capitalist is not like uh, they try to paint liberals in like the classical liberal sense, try to paint like the, the capitalist as like this beneficial, like this benefactor, Mm -hmm. but really the, the, as the figure of capitalism that they fetishize is the huckster is the snake oil salesman because the libidinal appeal of getting over on someone uh-huh. like there's that out that there's a certain unconscious appeal there, I think. Right. There's the, there's the small inside group lording over the outside group in a kind of, you know, but there's also this creation of surplus value out of nothing or out of, or this, this alchemical transformation of snake oil into gold, right? That's something like, that's not necessarily anti-capitalist, as you said. It's like at the heart of the the desire of the capitalist, you know, of of capitalism is is uh, is not just one man's trash is another man's treasure, but of like of um, transforming this valuation uh, under the back behind the backs of of those who don't recognize it. And it's, and this is where we get close to this, this, this thing that you brought up earlier with, well, it's about duping, but I think you're, you're, you're right. You're, but, but, but you're right to already guard against that by saying it's not, it's not just like the trickery of the huckster. He's not just a Loki or a trickster, uh, God figure. He's a, uh, there, I think there's something of, of a kind of a sorcerer going on. There's, there's something of sorcery and alchemy in, and that I think gets gets down to the libidinal roots of of what we're talking about. This there's something in the surplus value of of hucksterism, of charlatanism, of uh, that that's in the transformation of values, and and it's that transformationism that I think is libidinal because. This notion of of making America great again or making X great again, this notion of like restoring an old body, uh, an old socius with its concomitant like benefit. I mean, like who like whom does it does it benefit? Well, it benefits the the in group of those who identify with this movement. And that's the that's the unconscious investment of desiring uh, a fascistic state because in that desire one assumes one is a part of that body politic right that one belongs and this is precisely why there has to be enemies whether it be 
you know, liberals, those on the left, uh, but also ethnic uh, outsiders, um, those who do not, those who further and further deviate from the the sort of center of sameness of white adult male um, capitalists, whatever it is, right? Like those different signifiers and points of subjectification are the 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 sort of resonant the resonating center of uh of of that kind of movement and they're necessary for it and one it, it, by identifying with it one feels oneself you know infused with that power libidinally even if one's conscious interests uh and investments don't necessarily line up and this is you know this is why the whole question of, you know, education, you know, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and, and determining whether one votes Democrat or Republican in our binary system is, is, is still, or, or, you know, just, just how class interests don't necessarily factor in, um, when one gets to the level of fascistic desire. Cause it's not about, it's not about, being a millionaire, a billionaire, but of imagining oneself, identifying oneself with the prospect of uh, of collectively like uh, identifying, and it and it usually, as I said, kind of comes. A lot of those vectors come from from race, uh, um, but also from rigid binaries of all sorts, including gender and. Uh, and other 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 kinds of identifying factors. I'm not sure if I'm even under I might even be undermining my own kind of argument here, but I was just thinking too that like this this element of this kind of hucksterism as well, this snake oil shit, is that it's not even it's not about superior knowledge, but about like being clever because if you kind of contrast the figures of Trump and Obama, right? You have like Obama is the the intellectual, at least quote unquote, right? And like in terms right. of symbolically, right? And Trump is not that. Like he has a much more uh, like there's a more preternatural element to him. Like he's he's not as intelligent. He's clever, what, but he's clever. Yeah. And the fact that he can subvert Obama and so subvert that kind of like intellectual elite and the the quote-unquote like the smart people right like that's another aspect i think right of the appeal of that kind of fascistic appeal but i i would even trace back there's i think i don't know i hate to essentialize the american character but i kind of always come back to this idea that there's kind of a fascism already soft baked into kind of the i don't know the matrix of of americanism in oh, the yeah. sense of, and then like a lot of it coming from this sort of Calvinist history that kind of permeate or like roots of America. Right. And it's interesting too, for me, like, I don't know what your background is in terms of religion, but I was raised in a kind of like evangelical home. And it's gotcha. really interesting to me too, that in kind of witnessing preachers, like there is the same kind of like weird um, identification with the Old Testament God and they kind of ignore like the, the New Testament, like Jesus is kind of sublimated 
of course even even within people that profess to be like christians and take up like the the mission of christ they like i'm looking at like specifically my dad i think identifies more with that old testament god than really with the the god the kind of jesus yes element like the more progressive uh standpoint well there's something revolutionary about jesus at core and so the old testament wrath is much more uh a a factor it's much more of a vector in 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 right-wing authoritarian circles because you know um to be revolutionary, so much of what Jesus said still holds for today, right? It's, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, um, so much of that is, is, is contrary to the ideals of, um, and again, liberalism of, of, of liberal capitalism, of laissez-faire capitalism. Uh, it's so much against, and, and so much of capitalism is, you know, I, you mentioned uh, sort of fascism, and you could add white nationalism to. It's already baked in, right, to the core of our of yeah. our founding. That's true. That's true. And um, and and you know, but so much of capitalism too has become synonymous with democracy, at least in in, a, in a, at least in an American uh, register. So yeah. that so that if one is um, not necessarily talking about the violent overthrow of the bourgeoisie, right? But but merely yeah, incrementally talking about different ways of of regulating and curbing the uh, the ravenousness of unchecked capitalism. One is painted as anti-democratic, as uh, as anti. Uh, and therefore antisocial and therefore, and so there, there's, it's a kind of the, so yeah, there's an aspect of Trumpianism to, to use that term that isn't merely fascistic, but is, is kind of old school, um, anti-disestablishment, right? It's, it's, it is, uh, but also, you know, so in the retrograde, you know, for the, the search for the, the lost, the nostalgia for the lost um, greatness is is obviously uh, covered in blinders, and that's the same way that the New Testament is read. You know, the all the stuff about salvation is 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 disconnected uh, um, rather violently from the from the actual message that that Jesus spoke. Um, so much so much of which was against the the status quo, but it wasn't about, you know, but in restoring, uh, the law of Moses one also, you know, in the, in the Hegelian sense, you, you raise it up, but you cancel it out. Right. He, he, he came to, uh, you know, the narrative goes right. That he came to, to lift up the Mosaic law, but also to, to cancel it out. And Paul's the one who, who goes out and tries to, eventuate this and to, and to militate for this and to, uh, indoctrinate, well, in the, in the broader sense, right. To, to lay out a doctrinal formula for how this, as what Badu calls this, this universalism of Christianity could, could constitute itself upon, uh, the, the event of the Messiah. So it's, um, 
you know, but, but, but we see this perverted in so many ways. And one of which is, is like gospel or prosperity gospels, prosperity, uh, evangel, uh, ev- evangelical teachings, which, which in the crudest ways, right. Uh, it makes, you know, and, and it, it gets us back to hucksterism, right. Which is basically send me your paycheck this month. God will grant you a bounty next month, that kind of shit. Um, that kind of transformation of, of monetary values having to do with, with faith, right? With, you have to believe that your giving to me will constitute the conduit, uh, and, and lend the ear of God to your, to your plight, which can be solved by money, of course. Um, and yeah, I mean, to, to, uh, before I guess turning it back over, I was raised in, um, I was raised in the church a little bit later age. Um, my grandmother moved in with us when I was about 10 and we started going to the kind of church that she went to, which was a non-denominational church. It's the, just, we just call it the church of Christ. And I think that the, one of the benefits I enjoyed about the church of Christ was that it's, you know, it's loosely affiliated with, other churches of Christ, but without a doctrinal dogmatic foundation, like one finds in say a Catholic church or another schismatic, uh, formations of the different churches. And so in that sense, um, I, I, I like the freedom of being able to explore and read the, the gospels without having that, having the, uh, having a fundamentalist view baked in, but at the same time, the, the, the members of, of that church really kind of turned me off with their own actions and words and distance uh, allowed me to distance myself from Christianity in general to, uh, to the point where I wouldn't necessarily identify with myself as a Christian. Um, I wouldn't generally identify myself as a Christian except to the extent to which uh, it really was formative for me insofar as it was one of the books that I read and reread and kind of inspired my um, turn in education to literature and philosophy. So to that extent, I'm very grateful for, for uh, being exposed. I don't think I would have had the same evolution as a person if I hadn't been in the church and been um, prompted and, and motivated to, to read what the Bible had to say for myself. Yeah, like that kind of, that sort of element of hermeneutics, I think, too, mm-hmm. is, I think, very foundational in my experience, too. I'm curious for you, because for me, I think there's a certain through line, and I kind of was getting getting at this earlier with kind of this appeal of, like, the Old Testament fire and brimstone aspect is I sort of see a through line in especially like, you know, Southern Baptist in particular is the denomination that I was most, uh, most familiar with and had a direct experience with is there's like that element, that zealous element that is almost like the old, like that fire and brimstone kind of like, again, and that's almost, there's a certain element of desire or jacence there too. I'd like, I'm not, well, <laughs> I can't know if I can articulate that as well as you probably could but i i think there's a through line there to fascism and like there's a there's a commonality at least at the surface level of 
like a, a, you know, like a revival or something like that. And like a Trump rally or, or a Nuremberg rally, like I think whatever, like there may be some tenuous thread that kind of quilts those, those things together in a sense. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and the, and the, um, this notion of wrath. Yeah. We, we, we can see it in, obviously in mass movements, not just Trump rallies in, in, in particular, but we do see it in mass movements and, 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 and it, and it can, and it can inflect itself in, in, uh, you know, in, in, um, in democratic rallies too. one, especially after years of, of, of being, uh, of, of putting up with things like, uh, build the wall, lock her up, those kinds of, of chants. Um, we're, we're not necessarily immune from that either because there is a sense of in, in wrath, especially in God's wrath in the old Testament, there's always, whether or not it, it may be illogical to our human brains, there's always this notion of a divine justice. And so retribution, divine retribution, divine justice, uh, one can feel it in one's, one's bones. And there's obviously an anger, I think I feel and identify with on the on the left as well to the to the types of hypocrisies and absurdities that we obviously aren't immune from from within either but just the overt kind of uh injustice in um in 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 all the different events that constitute the past 3 years so um and I think that you're right that, that that that's part of what, you know, identifying with the, and being feeling oneself as the organ of these larger these larger scale movements of wrath and justice, being um, you know, being not just God's advocate, uh, God, the the God, the the advocate of God's wrath, but also the instrument. I think this is what uh, Foucault was telling us to be wary of in, in his preface to Anti-Oedipus, where he said, don't, don't become enamored of power. Don't fall in love with, with power, because when we feel ourselves a part of that divine movement of wrath, that's only, uh, that should only be um, a motivating and intensifying factor rather than the end in itself. And that's where desire shows itself to not desire the thing it desires or we think it desires, right? Which is the wrath or the movement of wrath, but uh, to keep on desiring, to push further. And that's, I think, where, the, where one ends up with a kind of revolutionary uh, aspect. For example, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of his name. Cornell West, he identifies himself as a revolutionary Christian, um, yeah. and, and, and he's, uh, one of those figures that is, that so eloquently can sort of discuss some of these, these aspects from his own personal experience, especially as a, as a black man and working, um, and thinking in terms of black congregations and, and the, the, the kind of oppression that, that, um, people of color have to endure with, uh, that I can only, uh, attempt to like ally myself with as a, as a white heterosexual adult male, you know, I'm, I'm 
uh, as Louis C.K. would say, you know, if I had to re-up every year, I would I would continue to choose this. But at a certain point, you know, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get fucked and, uh, and 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 crushed, and we'll we'll deserve it. Now, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that'll be shorter or longer term, or 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 it's really just kind of a jocular way of thinking about white privilege and such. But um, to get back to it, yeah, I mean, the 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 feeling of being an instrument of divine wrath and the certainty that one is acting to re, uh, redistribute a kind of uh, divine justice, uh, that kind of self-righteousness is very dangerous. And this is where, again, we could turn to someone like uh, Christ who, you know, it's not just about turning the other cheek and, and letting injustice go unanswered, but of finding ways of uh, productively forgiving. And I think that this brings us close, very close to Nietzsche and him saying that, um, that, that life itself, but also human evolution couldn't form without the kind of um, the swamp and miasma of a historicality that there's a, there's a power in forgetting. It's not just a lack or a, or a, a negative thing that, that in forgetting, there is in productive, active forgetting, there is the the basis and constitution for uh, for for trans evaluating values, and that is that's 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 necessary at a certain level for um, uh, for for revolutionary politics to to cohere in in ways uh, that are unprecedented. I think. Um, however you want to take that. Right. So it's, it it feels good, uh, you know, to, to, to align oneself and identify oneself with carrying out God's wrath. But in the end it is, um, that feeling is so shallow, right? Because it, 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 it comes back to reinforcing this kind of egoistic narcissistic need that we all feel and we all have to deal with. And, and, and in the end it is, it is resentment. Um, I think it, 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 it veers towards resentment in the last instance. So to kind of, I think to take a thread from this and, and maybe take it, but my take on this or spin on this in the sense of where you see this kind of, like you mentioned the dangers of how like maybe the left can, there are pathologies that are there are vulnerabilities to this as well. I think the way that it manifests itself is through the lens of kind of this this uh, slave morality uh, to borrow kind of from from Nietzsche's conception of it. In that, if you'll notice, like that's one of the dis- distinctions, at least it seems like over the last what maybe like the more like liberal left has been focused on is very. It's a lot of moralism more than anything. And mm-hmm. then sort of because like that feel that's like the only realm in which they can kind of have any sense of uh, of agency or power or like express their resentment towards power is through like, oh, well, yeah, we can't have we sort of can't have any material power right now, but we can assert our our moral superiority to you know conservatism or republicans or whatever and like that's kind of even i think that's what largely situate or where things are situated like i said at least from the 
kind of perspective of of the Democrat. Like if you're a Democrat, right, like everything that Trump is doing, it's like it's it's offending your moral kind of sensibilities. Right. More than anything, more than any kind of like more, uh, I think, Marxian um, analysis of like power and how economics and everything is rooted in exploitation and so forth. Right. It's sort of this. Right. This more this moral question, which I mean, I think like Nietzsche said, it's like we've got to get beyond this whole dialectic of of good and evil if we want to have any kind of a society that that's worth living in and doesn't descend into utter nihilism. Right. Right. Yeah. There, there is a, there is a, I think the phrase that is obviously resonant is, is this notion of moral outrage and, um, and, you know, Nietzsche would want us to, to, to keep, to keep, to make sure that we in, 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 in being motivated and intensified by moral outrage against, um, as you know, as you said, if we take the stance of Democrats against uh, the current day Republicans, Trump, Trumpianism, we have to reserve a large part of that also for for our ourselves and make sure that we 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 keep ourselves to not just hold ourselves to the same standards, but 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 continue to reevaluate, transvaluate our own values when when uh our party is is in is is ascendant and by that what i mean is um you know uh, to to go back to the bible right it's 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 this question of it's this question of of First, plucking the plank out of our own eye before the speck out of our brother's eye, right? And yeah, our moral outrage definitely feels like it's not merely a speck in the other's eye right now. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, I'm thinking of all kinds of cliches like um, Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror. And obviously, Michael Jackson's uh, star has maybe not fallen in terms of artistry, but in terms of a person. <laughs> uh, so maybe not the best ally. But another one is uh, one of my favorites is, is uh, RuPaul, who may, maybe didn't originate this phrase, but who always says it at the end of um, every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, where she says, um, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? And... Uh, and that cliche always means a lot to me. Uh, that that phrase. It's 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 about that that if we merely align ourselves with and enamor ourselves with power and become an instrument of power of uh, state or otherwise, or divine or otherwise, this this movement of wrath. Um, there is this sense in which we do so not out of the expanded notion of charity, right? Not out of charitableness, not out of love, Christian or otherwise, right? But out of a, out of a place of anger. And, um, you could, of course, we could, of course, turn to, to, to Yoda for another cliche about, um, you know, where, where, where these, these feelings of fear and anger and hate turn to and, and turn us into, um, obviously things aren't binary like that, but, but, but it's still a good guideline for, you know, uh, where are we, you know, in dealing with, um, 
our brothers and sisters, you know, across all the spectrums of, of politics, are we, are we coming from this aspect of, of outrage alone? Is it, is, is it, is it merely plugging into more of this, uh, libidinal movement that you were talking about of this, this jouissance of, of feeling superior, because it's in that movement of feeling superior that, that we betray, um, that we betray molecular politics, that we betray that of which we are capable on a more collective scale, that we betray the possibility for um, this slow movement toward a more perfect union that that is always up for grabs, and not just each election, but in each like moment, in each action that we choose to to take. Um, I'm starting to maybe sound a little bit. Um, metaphysical and a little bit like touchy feely, but you know, it's, 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 it's more rigorous than that, right? It's more, it, it points back to what we talked about before we started recording with this, 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 uh, sometimes violent, but, but, but seemingly necessary conjunction of, of the revolutionary and the analytical machine. We have to be willing to, to submit ourselves to collective and self analysis. We have to be willing to uproot those, um, you know, uh, we have to be willing to sort of pluck out those, those, uh, seeds of fascism that are always being sown in our individual and collective psyches and, and make sure that we find productive ways of expelling them, of transforming them and translating them in such ways that we are not counterproductive to, uh, this, this, this movement of, this larger movement that that sweeps us along and has nothing to do with our own selfish desires for for identifying with with the majoritarian party or I say party mass uh, with with identifying with with power with that which with the superior right which is which in the last instance or in the first instance constitutes a superior race. Um, whether it be racial or ethnic or class or otherwise, it's, you know, as, as Dulles and Guattari say, looking at our toe, right. It's, 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 it's better to be a bastard um, because there's, because in that minoritarian aspect, one frees oneself up for um, more intense becomings, becomings that, can provide the catalyst for getting us out of this deadlock at the end of, uh, at the seeming end of, of capitalism, if not the end of the world. Right. Um, Cause one of the things we talked about was also this, I mean, we mentioned it with rebellion extinction, but this, this, this larger environmental concern, um, this global concern over and above our politics Yeah, and kind of what really comes to mind for me is uh, that kind of that famous Lacan quote about, and especially in terms of like that, uh, I guess the moral the moral sentiment is, you know, what you aspire to as revolutionaries is a new master. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and you I will get one. Yeah, exactly. You will have yeah. one, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's an imp- that's really I think I don't know if you were getting quite there with your examples but that's kind of what came to mind there um but i want to be like a little bit 
uh, for me, I just want to be more cautious. And I don't know, maybe I was, maybe I'm painting you with the wrong brush, but in terms of giving up too much of ourselves to like these metaphysical things, or I don't know, I kind of want to be cautious and stray a little bit from that sort of thing. And maybe that's a good segue to, to finish us up on, cause I want to take up your whole day, but we talked a little bit about, uh, Watari's uh, kind of, I think is what is his final work, Chaosmosis, ethico aesthetic paradigm, and kind of maybe yes. that's at least hinting towards um, some type of further development or uh, a way to kind of circumvent this good and evil dialectic. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this is. It's just partly what we've been kind of uh, circling around this this notion of new ethico aesthetic paradigms, and and it is a mouthful, but it is <laughs> it is this it is this notion that, um, you know, Guattari before this book, and he's thinking about this as he's talking about this this uh, these new uh, these new paradigms, these new ethico aesthetic paradigms. He was he had written a short little. Uh, it's really like an essay, but a short little book called Three Ecologies. And he's discussing, uh, and, he's, and, he's, and he's, as always, ruminating on the role of analysis, uh, psychoanalysis or schizoanalysis or whatever, uh, stratoanalysis. They have all kinds of terms for it, but we could say schizoanalysis, what it can bring um, to discussions of the cultivation of these three ecologies and for him it's the it's the psychical the collective and the and the uh and the environmental and they all three um you know one can think of them as as superposed planes that have different scales and dimensions but they but they do um on the level of desire uh one can't necessarily distinguish the three right on the level of desire the components and the assemblages can't necessarily be uh, be distinguished on this molecular level. Um, so it's about this this hygienics, if you will, uh, this 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 question of of healthy analytical frameworks and mo uh, or modelizations, meta modelizations, diagramming, all these different mapping. They have all kinds of terms for it, but it's about mapping uh, the unconscious on its uh, interlocking resonating, uh, scales. And I think for, without becoming a, uh, a pan psychist, you know, there is a sense in which for Guattari, you know, the machinic unconscious, uh, isn't in individuals heads. It, it's, it's, it's dragged all around us in, in our, uh, engagements in the social and, and it's not disconnected from, um, from this cultivation of environmental ecologies. I mean, it's not necessarily that Guattari is like a, uh, you know, an heir to the, um, what do you call it? The, what's the, I'm losing the word. The, the there's a, there's a, there, there's a Christian school of thinkers who are concerned about the environment, um, uh, who are, who take seriously this notion that, humans are the custodians of of at least our little universe our little corner of the universe and um uh there's a word for it but i'll we'll get back to it i'm, I'm not, sure i'm not familiar enough 
But yeah, I mean, on that so, note, though, yeah, I am kind of curious because you did mention panpsychism, and how does that? And my lim- my knowledge of Spinoza is sort of limited, but I mean, Spinoza is all about kind of the 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 monads, like the the isn't that kind of a different iteration of like a panpsychism, or am I just like I said? That's there just are, kind of gleaned from like just very surface level exposure. Sure, to Spinoza. I mean, yeah, there are there are definitely uh, ways in which Spinoza can be read as a pantheist and a, and and um, with his parallelism parallelism of thought and extension as as a kind of um, loose panpsychist, but uh, but but he and he is familiar with Leibniz's uh, monadology and his in his view of monads you know, superposing dimensions, um, one could say fractally of these, these monads, monads all the way down. And I think for Spinoza, um, the, the way in which this is, uh, a way in which at least Deleuze interprets this is, you know, with, with the, with, with substance and its expression through the attributes and the, the modes of of which constitute phenomenal reality, right? There is um, there is a sense in which there is a parallelism parallelism of thought and extension, and it's not necessarily that all uh, beings, so to speak, are endowed with thought or are thinking. Um, but um, you know, with Deleuze and Guattari, it's that there is the, there is there are you know, residences and amplitudes of individuations such that the, such that what they call the noosphere um, is one sort of plane that is superposed and in, in communication with informed by and informing uh, what they call the mechanosphere. And it all has to do with the theory of abstract machines, etc. But in a crude way, if we take it in a crude, simple reductionist way, no, uh, I think for Deleuze and Guattari and for Spinoza, panpsychism is, is, is just a kind of a red herring, but, you know, on a, on a, on a larger scale, I guess getting back to, or, you know, getting back to Guattari, this, this notion of the three ecologies, um, there is a, there is a way in which thought, the violence of thinking that which the images to which thought is prey um, becomes prey to, you know, that's, it has to do with, with a lot of the ways in which um, collectively psychically we, we cultivate values, we transform them, we harmonize them and machinically produce them in our, you know, sort of our acceleration towards the the future with our technological discoveries and all of this. We we all everything's. I mean, thought is at stake, but but the 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 play of values is at stake. And so, like, um, you know, this is on the level of desire, on the the sort of economics uh, infrastructural level of desire. This all informs how we. Uh, assemble to um, to resonate with the milieu, the the ultimate milieu that 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 uh, 
that gives us sustenance, which is, you know, loosely our environmental um, milieu and our responsibility. And I think what Guattari tries to show in this very hyper way, and I'll just kind of end here provocatively maybe, is is this notion of... um, of chaos as as sort of the milieu of all milieus and 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 it and it comes down to the way in which sort of the rhythms of our thinking our life our ways of being harmonize and and create these refrains that that are able to sketch out territorialities in this in this milieu of all milieus in this chaos and and it's it's that chaos that that both threatens our are and, and undermines productively our values and our ways of living and thinking and being collectively, but also uh, gives rise to um, sort of the 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 fallow ground upon which to 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 to, to take strides to to um, to pursue the tightrope of. Um, of what we call man, right? Because Nietzsche describes man as as a tightrope between ape and overman. So the the notion of of an overman, though, is never never the superior race in any simple sense. It's the um, it's sort of the will to power and eternal return plugged into the the relentless um, renegotiation of of values that can obviously settle into authoritarian black holes but um but but ne- that that's never the the last that's never the final ground the, that's always it, it claims to be and it claims to have a sort of you know self-legitimizing authority but it's but that itself belies uh its own lack of power its own tenuousness and we have to be i think we have to be relentless towards that not just on the on the on the macro scale, but obviously within ourselves, the 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 sedimentation of these fascistic territorialities that can give us a kind of solace that does end in the the divine wrath we spoke about earlier, the enjoyment of that that anger. I really like that. I I mean, that's a great. Ra- I don't know. That's a. I don't know if it's a slogan, if it's a rallying cry, if it's just <clears throat> a phrase that, but the chaos is the milieu of all milieus. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's really good. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's in the, um, that's in plateau 11 of the refrain in a thousand plateaus, which is, which is a really, really fun book. And it's one of those books that can be extremely frustrating, but at the same time, uh, it's one of those books that they say has to be one has to read it like a uh, like one listens to a record that it's uh, it's it um, so many of the, the lines of the plateaus, they harmonize with each other. And and it's not necessarily meant to be read as a linear book, although one can do it that way. It's, uh, you know, so many of the. Um, so many of the lines and the concepts and the terminology, it, it, it resonates throughout refrains such that um, one is one has to read forward and backward and side to side, diagonally, all of those things. It is a um, it is one of those nomadic works that just um, 
really forces one to unlearn all that we have learned and, and what to expect from uh, from reading a book, especially a book of of philosophy. Which I, I think as well kind of brings brings it all back to posting. <laughs> yeah. Because I, at least, I mean, I feel like that, like that, uh, uh, the aspect of chaos and really in that sense of like there not being a certain linear, linear reality to things mm-hmm. is, I think, something that I'm very, I think, conscious of whenever I am, whenever I am posting. As trivial as, as trivially as that sounds, but I do like that is something that I am sort of thinking about in a way, or like maybe something that I just appreciate about the medium. But anyways, just to just to bring us back to the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Twitter is is a kind of chaos in itself, right? It is a kind of um, it is it is this milieu of of various threads and 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 conversations and. Um, you know, they, I mean, their, their whole point about chaos is the milieu of all milieus, which, you know, in, in, in French, um, the word milieu is literally mid place, the halfway point, the, the middle. Um, uh, interesting. And, okay. and, and so there is a sense of which, um, you know, the point with Twitter though, I think is that there is a sense in which, it, 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 as a chaos, if we can say that analogically, metaphorically, it, it has aspects of, uh, of the tree because of the way that responses and threads work. But on the other hand, it has, uh, it has aspects of the rhizome insofar as any tweet can be, um, can potentially be connected to any other th- uh, feed and and link up in ways that even if they are determined by by algorithms they still have this potential of of resonating in ways that breaks them off from any one feed or follower or retweet or tweet whatever so in that sense that there are there are that that I think the tweet is very or, or the notion of tweets right if we think about the, them outside of the the Twitter realm, but in the sense of what they represent of of a bird song of of a of a snippet of a of a micro refrain um, it's precisely this notion that uh, what we see in Twitter is less merely tweets but like rhythms right there are these these rhythms that as they say rhythm is the answer to uh is the milieu's answer to chaos and and chaos and rhythms aren't opposed it's merely that um rhythms allow this passage from one milieu to another in this kind of transcoding and it's that passage that obviously allows for territorialities to uh be constituted through refrains and we definitely see i mean day to day but obviously like week to week month to month we see certain and memes are a part of this, but they, they only are a symptom of a part of this, this movement from milieu to milieu from um, these, these, these um, transformations and trans 
lations and, and intertwinings and intersections and resonances of, of different threads and milieus and, uh, and rhythms. Um, and so I think that's one of the beautiful things about Twitter that I, I find it much more advantageous than something like Facebook, um, which can, in my view, or always seems to kind of fall into a cesspool of, of, um, of bullshit. You know, I'd rather have, I'd rather take shit posting all day rather than, than the kind of bullshit I find on Facebook. Um, even if I try to cultivate my Facebook feed, I always feel, uh, drained by glancing at it. But by Twitter, I, I, I kind of feel like there's a, um, I'm always, uh, like kept in the loop and in various, but, but, but there's various groups, there's various voices, there's various songs, there's various, uh, refrains playing out. Some of it has to do with the real world and, and, and actual politics and events and world events. Others has to do with a kind of um, undercurrent, this, these, these movements of thinking and, and expressing that, yeah, can congeal into memes but never reduce to them that, that can sweep us along and, and can allow us to interact with them either in the most redundant ways because obviously so much of Twitter is about redundancy – but um, but redundancy doesn't have to be bad. It, it's it's necessary to the to the structural constitution of of any language or code, let alone rhythm. Um, rhythm can't be reduced to redundancy. It's but it's but it's a vehicle that without which it it wouldn't exist. And it's the infinite variation that's made possible by these interactions, and uh, that that is part of what we could see as the musicality of, of Twitter, if, if, if I can, you know, be so fucking crass. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think that's uh, actually a good, good stopping point for mm-hmm. the podcast, um, to bring us back to, to shit posting. Of course, the most, yes. uh, the, uh, what philosophy is now is, is nothing but shit posting. That's the future yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a you know I think Whitehead's the one that said that uh, the history of philosophy is like a series of footnotes to Plato, and it's really like um, even a series of subtweets, a series of subtweets, a series of I mean even Plato's dialogues are, are a number of just long winded shit posts, right? So, <laughs> um, or 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 exchange of shit posts between Socrates and his interlocutors, but. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that that it's it's good that we circled back uh, several <laughs> times to to social media, and um, it's you know it's 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 one of those things that brought us together. So it felt it felt right to uh, uh, to give it to give it pride of place, you know. Right. Yeah. I th- thank you for legitimizing that for me. I, I appreciate that. But uh, Taylor, I don't want to take up any more of your afternoon. I've already monopolized like half of it. So. Um, I'll give you the opportunity to plug and then we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and sign off. Sure. I want to thank you, Cooper, for having me on. And I appreciate the, the camaraderie, uh, of, of sort of thinking together with me. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, our listeners enjoyed the ride, even if it was, uh, <laughs> never certain where the destination was. It's about the journey, right? So yeah. Um, you know, I'm, you can find me on Twitter since we're plugging Twitter at 
T Adkins six one three. Um, you can um, you can you can follow me, tweet me. You can uh, you know you can also follow uh, my podcast uh, Theory Talk on Twitter as well. It's at Theory underscore Talk. You can find that on SoundCloud. Just search or any whatever, however you get your podcast, you can find it. Just search Theory Talk. And um, I'll also give a shout out to my co-host of that, uh, Joseph Wiseman, who wasn't here today, but I think his spirit was here. And um, and 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 yeah, just I'll 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 leave it at that. I'm hoping in the future, uh, Joe and I can have you on Theory Talk, and we can continue some of these. Uh, some of these conversations, especially get more into um, maybe revolutionary politics. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, definitely love that. I, I love talking about, I mean, I could talk all day about this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, this is podcast cure of Cooper cherry. We're going to sign off for the week. I will definitely put Taylor's links in the show notes. So keep an eye out for that. And I should be recording next week with Andrew Coke on his book it's like a examination of materialism um, throughout the history of kind of like the continental tradition so that'll be really cool he's a really uh, smart guy really looking forward to that podcast so keep an eye out for that well that sounds great i'll have to check it out all right we we done recording including the ultimate form of which is This is a typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the green, the Whitewashed, lobotomized people, as in a block work orange.